Welcome to the Final Draft Podcast. I am Andrew Popel. Today, I'm joined on the show by Simon Roll. The Final Draft Podcast explores books, writing, and literary culture. Every week, I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. And here at Final Draft, we are dedicated to exploring Australian writing, from debut authors to established household names. In each of the conversations, it is a chance to look at the issues that drive the author's storytelling, a way to discover more from the books that you love. These are the stories that make us who we are. To SEL broadcasts from the lands of the Gadigal people, I record on the lands of the Darug and Gunungurra people. And I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of those lands where we are working, where we're broadcasting from, pay my respects to their ongoing connection to their lands, acknowledging that these are unceded lands, that there has never been a treaty in Australia. Now, as I mentioned today, I am joined by Simon Roll. Simon's a Ned Kelly Award nominated author, and we are we're going to be chatting about his new novel. It is Wild Card. Whether you love police procedural, whether you love a bit of an action thriller, whether you like a bit of rural noir, I think you're going to get into Wild Card. So, without further ado, please join me as we discover Simon Roll's Wild Card. <laughs> I'm being joined by Simon Rowell. Simon is the author of The Echo of Others and The Long Game. He's been nominated for a Ned Kelly Award, and today he joins us with his new novel, Wildcard. Simon, welcome. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for inviting me. I'm really excited to talk about this. This was was one of my summer reads. Um, So it, it, it has a you know, a, a hazy, you know, sort of gorgeous, relaxed space in my mind, not to suggest for a second that this is a relaxed novel. I want to introduce people. When a body is found on the banks of the Murray River, Detective Zoe Mayer is called up from Melbourne to investigate. Despite the violence of the scene and the victim's ties to organised crime, no one seems to know anything. As more bodies pile up, Zoe realises she will have to make a breakthrough soon before a gang war erupts within the community skirting the New South Wales-Victoria border. I mean, I, I actually came into this book cold, Simon. I haven't read The Long Game, but... This is this is um, a return for your hero, Detective Zoe Mayer. And I was hoping, can you start us off? Can you introduce us? What do we need to know about Zoe as uh, as we begin this adventure with her? Um, Zoe is a, 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 a pretty tough detective. She's a detective sergeant in the Homicide Squad in Victoria Police. Um, she's very thorough. She's tough and she's brave. Um, her bravery's got a double-edged stay because sometimes she can be a bit... Uh, reckless in terms of what she does, in terms of just running into scenes that she maybe should stand back from a bit and think about. But uh, she's she's a really sort of uh, you know positive uh, detective. She's got a partner called Charlie Shaw, <clears throat> who she's uh, bringing up. He's come across from uh, organised crime, and then she's sort of training him up in being a, a homicide detective. And they've got a pretty good relationship. Um, you know, Zoe's the – a lot of the feedback I've got about Zoe is that she's the kind of person – you know, a lot of people have actually written to me and said, I'd, you know, I'd really like to be friends with this person in real life. Mm-hmm. I'd like to go out with a wine – you know, for a wine with her. You know, so that's really um, positive to hear that people are really connecting with the with the character. I mean, she's got the service dog, which is um, um, sort of a, a result of PTSD from an incident that was described in the, in the long game. Um, and she's got this this service dog that sort of follows her around everywhere because uh, she has a reaction to certain stimulus, mm. uh, and that he helps her sort of cope with that. But the other thing with the dog is that the dog is um, 
uh, he's a he's a real help to her in terms of he reacts to people's emotions. So if people are reacting uh, in a false way, she can tell by the way he's reacting to the people about whether they're lying or telling the truth. So he's actually become a, a you know pretty good tool that she uses as well for her job. I want to come back to Harry in, in just a second because he is just a fabulous part of the the story, and I want to explore that more. But I'm I'm also really curious. I feel like. A lot of us would probably, because of, you know, various media, film stories, feel like we know a little bit about police and policing. But, of course, in your story, you are bringing these people to life. Do you, do you know police? How, what experience do you need to bring to that to actually create a character that is doing this, um, this vital but so often stressful role? Mm, I, I do know a few police... Uh that I uh, run things by and, and get and do research with. Um, and I also lean a little bit heavily on the uh, Victorian police. Uh, they've got a media unit and I sort of uh, go to them with more technical questions. Um, and sometimes they'll answer the questions and sometimes they say, mm, you're a bit close to the, uh, to the, uh, the secrets, secrets act here. So you better just uh, lay off that. And then I know I'm pretty close to the mark. Um, yeah. But I, I, my experience with, um, with the, Police forces really to looking from afar, but um, and talking to talking to various um, police in different areas, um, it's really given me a good insight. I love the way you've brought Zoe to life, and of course, you know, p- police are not all one thing; they're not cardboard cutouts. And Zoe is this incredible individual. I talked about the way we get a picture of um, police and I guess that sort of heroic character from the media. And so often, especially in the crime and thriller genre, we meet these stoic heroes. They seemingly shake off all the extraordinary violence that is surrounding them. But with Zoe, you've chosen to face the stresses of police work um, head on. And you explore particularly the mental health implications of this work. Um, I told you I wanted to get back to Harry. Can you tell me a little bit about Harry and and, and his role, um, how he really is that support for Zoe? Yes. So Zoe, it's explained in the first book, but uh, Zoe uh, has a reaction uh, to helicopters uh, and drones as well. Uh, And he really, uh, you know, uh, alerts her to when she's going to have a bit of a reaction because he can feel it before she does. Uh, and he uh, gives her the, the time, I suppose, to actually compose herself. And these sort of uh, PTSD episodes only last a matter of, you know, a few seconds to half a minute. Um, but in her job, they're pretty um, important, especially if she's speaking to the media or in a public space. So he's um, he's a great support to her in that regard. Yeah. Did that element of Zoe's character and, and this, you know, Incredible role that it plays you know, alongside the other the other wonderful plotting that I promise we're getting to Simon. Did that did that evolve organically, or did you go in with when you were you know first formulating your stories with this idea that you wanted to explore that aspect of Zoe and and her job? I think yeah, there was uh, there was some media articles about service dogs in the police force uh, a number of years ago. Um, before I wrote the book, and it's sort of these sort of things just sort of catch in my brain and just sort of hang with me for a bit, and that was a sort of a, a part of it. I mean, the long game; uh, th- these are both standalone books, so you don't have to read one to read the other. But with the long game, the the plot sort of came to me in a cafe pretty quickly, 
uh, sitting there one day and I just jotted it down on the back of a back of a, a napkin and, and and Harry was there, Zoe was there, you know, the whole thing was basically ninety percent done on this napkin, which was pretty strange. But um yeah, it's 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 a yeah, it's a it's a process. I mean, these these plotting ideas, like they they there's a kernel of uh, you know an idea somewhere, and then I start to spiderweb it out and plan it and make sure it's sort of robust and stable and stress test before I actually even put pen to paper. As well as um, this incredible character development that um, you know Zoe and Harry's relationship allows you to create, it also. Um, well, you show us, I guess you show us the impact of mental health in everyday life and the fact that not everyone is completely accepting. And in fact, there are scenes throughout Wild Card where Zoe's competence is called into question when people sort of, they clock that Harry is a, is a service dog and that he's he's serving that role for her. Um, were you interested in exploring, I guess, those social implications as well? And is, have you sort of seen over your life that attitude change? Because I can, I can certainly reflect that there's a much more open conversation about mental health, but I don't know what it's like, obviously, in thing, in places like the police force. Yeah, well, that's that's the thing. In terms of, um, you know, in the police force, the 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 attitudes are varied, like like in anything in real in, in actual life, in normal, mm. whatever normal means in normal life. Um, uh, people have got a range of opinions. Some people are very accepting, and some people are, are completely closed-minded, and that's reflected as well in the, in the book. Um, because she gets results, uh, I think she gets a lot more uh, leeway. The media starts to start to sort of realise that she's very good at her job. Her, the, her colleagues generally in the homicide department are, are supportive, um, so it's becoming it's becoming slightly better, I suppose, as society becomes. Mm slightly more accepting these things as well. Yeah. And you do show us that uh, that other essential, I guess, relationship between the police and the media and the way the community either get behind or, uh, I guess, stymie an investigation. And that really, that brings us to the story. That brings us to yep. Wildcard. And um, I was actually talking <clears throat> with someone recently about Final Draft, about the show, and they asked me, that was a really interesting question. It was about why or, or even whether they should be going into a new book that they want to read with, you know, the sort of background information that you and I are discussing right now, Simon. Um, of course, I want people to listen to the show. I have a vested interest. <laughs> so I thought, well, can I turn that question back on you? So like, given that you're writing particularly, you're writing um, sort of crime thriller, there is an element of, you know, something that has to be solved. You don't want to give too much away. You want the readers going in fresh. What value do you find in discussing your stories and discussing your process? I think it's, um, you know, people who, who are readers generally are interested in the process. Um, it's, uh, it's, you know, an important part to bring people along on the ride. Uh, it's not a bit of the history about why you've done it. Uh, so I think it's, it is important, yes. So Zoe is called up to the border region when a body is found, it's found in sort of a burnt-out space. Um, it struck me as I as I began reading and, and as I was reading that the area that you've, you're taking us to in Wildcard has undergone so much recently with heavy rainfall and floods. Um, that's probably colouring a lot of people's... Um, a lot of people's, uh, you know, vision of the space. Can you paint a picture of the region and and sort of how the story was laying out for you with these 
uh, I guess oh, I don't I don't know what I don't know want to, want to say too much, but rival sort of factions in the area. Yeah. So the area, the the body is found just outside of Achuca. Mm. So I'm using I'm using the real geography. Uh, I've visited all the locations in the book. Uh, it's it's the body's found in a burnout area. Um, the the person who had, uh, the victim of the the crime is actually from over the border in Moama. Now Moama and Achuca, for anyone who doesn't know. Uh, they're basically across the, you can see one from the other across the river. They're basically like twin towns. Mm. Um, so that intersection of the New South Wales police, the Victorian police, in terms of local police, now they work together was um, something I really want to explore. Um, I know that with, um, uh, you know, when police have to work in these sort of, in those sort of areas, they're often able to work across borders in term, if they're, if they're, if they're case related uh, with, with certain permissions. And those sort of things, but the you know the competition and the rivalry were an interesting part of the book as well in terms of just uh, exploring that as a as a device. Yeah, I feel like we've all become kind of pocket experts on um, on state and federal uh, rights over the last couple of years of of lockdowns and, and press conferences. But I really love that procedural element. This idea that um, you know much like hundred. 20 years ago, um, railway gauges didn't necessarily easily cross borders. Yeah. You also have this situation where when you've got parallel parallel organisations working across jurisdictions, that there is a lot going on. Um, so much of this can be discovered in the book, but was there anything that surprised you, anything that really sort of gave, um, gave a bit of spice to the story? I suppose uh, understanding who, who controlled the river from the police's point of view, uh, that was that was actually interesting because the New South Wales Police um, patrol the river. Mm. Uh, the, the sort of the Victorian part starts at the riverbank where the water stops. Uh, mm. So that was that was sort of interesting. Um, and just you know, I speak to a few people in and around the area and just understand the local the local uh, politics, I suppose, um, because there's there's sort of you know, a whole gamut. There's, there's in, in, in these places, there's people who are completely respectable and there's people who are completely dis- despicable. Uh, mm. And in between, there's a whole lot of other people. Um, so it's it's good to, you know, in terms of the types of books I write, I don't write books where everyone in the book has got a deep secret and they're all a suspect at some stage and it's a very Agatha Christie sort of situation. Mine are more ultra-realistic in terms of, you know, you've got good people, you've got bad people, you've got grey in between. It's all, it's all the whole, the whole gamut. Uh, some, some of them become suspects, most of them probably don't. So it's really more about the realism of uh, of everyday sort of police, you know, in, investigations mm. in terms of who they find, and that's really what I try and sort of concentrate on. Yeah, and I, I liked, I appreciated that realism. I appreciated that as I was reading, I could, you know, kind of pull up a map and and sort of map the movements that were happening in the investigation. But I guess that that also comes with its own challenges because you are occupying space that people will will be familiar with. And oh. I really got the impression, like as the investigation unfolds, you paint this picture of a close knit community where people are welcomed, but it's also a community where secrets are kept, bargains yes. are made to keep the peace. Does, was it challenging to do justice to those social dynamics? Not, not, actually, not really, because uh, I live, uh, I live rurally. I live near country towns. I'm used mm-hmm. to sort of 
country towns. I've moved up from Melbourne a number of years ago, and uh, I'm very um, familiar with with the uh, everyone knows everyone, and everyone knows most things about everyone else. So those sort of, and even a town, and Chick is a you know a large a large town, very large town. But even so, it's still you know one degree of separation across the across the community, really. Uh, so those sort of things where people are really connected and understand and talk, mm. uh, where, where you don't get in Melbourne or Sydney so much because uh, there's just so many people. But in a, these smaller communities, um, you know, nothing really goes unseen. Do you think I'm gonna I'm gonna talk quite obliquely now, Simon? Because I'm I'm gonna talk about a, a plot point um, that I don't want to give away, but um, in terms of the way the story sort of progresses, and particularly for Zoe as she investigates, we've talked about how she feels she's being stymied, that maybe information is being withheld. Do you think for, uh, for a, she's a Melbourne copper, for her coming into that sort of social dynamic of that community, um, there are things that she, you know, she needs to reckon with in terms of policing and the way. Like, did you discover anything about you know the way uh, operational matters are handled from town to city? Well, I think the, uh, the 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 biggest thing is just working with the local the local police, uh, the the local the local um, sergeant who runs a, a chuka, um, and how the you know just using that local knowledge as well, mm. just making sure that they're. They're connected in and actually connecting with um, with people. Yeah, you know, I mean Zoe's uh, quite a good communication, very straightforward and mm. and direct. But she's uh, she tends to and she doesn't suffer fools at all. Uh, but she tends to have try to form good relationships with the local the local police uh, in terms of local intelligence and and help. Um, so she works well in that regard. It doesn't always sort of as the book sort of. Uh, shows in the end it doesn't always work out that way but uh she she goes in with that attitude yeah i i particularly liked um the way that plays out and the way those those tensions between what zoe might see as as being the right way to do things uh, get i guess the, the waters get muddied if i'm not using to to sort of on the nose yeah. a pun about the murray there <laughs> <laughs> Of course, we ha we have a body that's being investigated, and every hero and their dog is only as good as the villains that they're up against. Again, I'm going to speak obliquely here, but how do you go about creating the villains for your piece, the uh, the criminals, the without occupying a space that I guess is within the like, you're in a you're writing in a real town. Are we, were you ever worried that someone would just be like, "Hey, come on, we're not like that." We're not. <laughs> I think I think I've been reasonably fair to the town. I mean, the people uh, there's criminals in uh, in in a lot of places, and yeah. uh, and and uh, and I haven't painted the towns in that regard. Mm. I've painted the the criminals in that regard, but not the towns. So, um, yeah, you know, places always have uh, good and bad parts mm. to them, um, and uh, and I've I think I've been been pretty fair to the. Uh, there's Shepherdons involved as well, and and I think I've been fair to everybody. I am um, after you mentioned. I'll hear, I'll, if I don't, I'll hear about it if not. Yeah, I was. That's what I was thinking. There was like when you after you mentioned at the top of the interview about liaising with the sort of the Melbourne uh, Police or the Victoria Police Media Division. I thought, do 
certain elements, particularly the more organised elements of crime, do they have their own media divisions? Are they going? Are you going to get a a call from an uh, an unlisted number saying, "Look, we don't particularly like that portrayal"? It'd actually be more realistic if you put the uh, put the body here. No. <laughs> <laughs> um. So we can't we can't say too much more about the unfolding of the investigation. That is the meat of Wildcard. That's what I want people to to go and discover after they've had a chance to listen to our conversation, Simon. But I I did have one more big question about the story because you've talked about the toll that police work has taken on Zoe. That is a really wonderful part of this story as we see her be both tough but also deal with the the real mental health impacts on that. As tensions in the town rise throughout the story, we see that all the investigators are potentially in the line of fire. And without giving too much away, I wanted to ask about the way that you explored those dangers and the sacrifices of policing. Yeah, so in terms of of, uh, the dangers, the the book sort of starts, it's a bit like a 5,000 metre race and running race. The book sort of starts off, at a steady sort of quick jog and it slowly but surely builds up. And at the end, it, the, the whole thing is just running really quickly. Mm. Um, but so I've lost the question. No, that's okay. I've, because I'm, because I'm very obliquely trying to refer to a particular uh, moment in the book without giving it away. I'm really interested in, I guess, your thought processes and decision-making and how you wanted to write, particularly about the dangers and the sacrifice, like, by the end of the book, there is a real toll that is taken on Zoe and mm. her entire team um, yes. that I thought was just, it was so like incredibly done because it's not something that we, we often deal with um, in, in these sorts of stories. Yes. No, there, there, there's a, a, a number of moments uh, of real, uh, real danger uh, and direct danger. Uh, as well as sort of uh, the, the mental impacts afterwards. So I've, I try to make things as realistic as possible in terms of um, things that happen physically and, and, and those sort of things, just to keep the sense of realism alive. I don't take things uh, over the top. I try to keep them as they could happen. Mm. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's a difficult balance. You really need to sort of make sure that uh, – you, you make sure that uh, it's really just uh, it's, it's believable in the end. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, pushing her. The, the, the only thing that – only uh, character that's probably safe in my books is the dog, to be honest, in terms of, in terms of uh, things that could happen. Um, you know, uh, I spoke to my, my publisher at one point when I was preparing for the second book and saying that – something might happen to one of the characters and they all started screaming, not the dog, not the dog. And I said, don't worry about the dog. The dog will be fine. But, um, you know, in terms of uh, those sort of things that can happen, I mean, it's, it's quite a, it's, it's just about uh, keeping a sense of tension and, and, and the action running. Mm. Well, now that you've gone there and said that, that, that Harry's safe, um, I want to, I want to, I thought I don't want to give away too much of a spoiler because I, I feel like it's, quite often, uh, you know, too easy a, a, a plot twist that it's almost a trope that um, a beloved animal will at least be put in danger. And I, I, I applaud you for avoiding that because, you know, Harry uh, Harry just straight up seems too shrewd. 
I think I think yeah. I think I don't think Harry'd fall for anything that'd put him in danger. No, no, well, Harry's based on it. Based on it. Uh, yeah, he's a, an amalgam of a couple of dogs we we uh, owned many years ago, and he's uh, one of one of which was brave, and one of which was very loyal. And uh, we, I sort of combined them into one dog. But no, he's uh, he's uh, he's he's pretty he's pretty good. He's very very protective of his mum, uh, his boss Zoe. Uh, he looks after her very well. Um, he's he, she's his his number one concern. So they look after each other, really, in the end. But uh, no, he's uh, he's a good he's a good lad. Fabulous. I'm, look, I'm, I think a lot of listeners um, are going to be happy that that Harry is safe and um, that, and that he's on the case because you know realistically the sort of danger you are putting your protagonist in, we mm. need we all need a Harry at those times. Yes. yes. <laughs> I'm speaking with Simon Roll. We are discussing his new novel, Wild Card. Simon. It, it, it's an absolute pleasure to have had you on the show. Thank you so much for taking the time. And um, it's great to be able to share Wildcard out there with the world. No worries. Thank you, Rose, for having me on. That is it for this conversation with Simon Roll. Thank you so much, Simon, for joining us. His new book is called Wildcard. It's out now from text. Now, you can catch the Final Draft podcast every week. You can catch it on the radio if you are in Sydney, tune in to uh, tune your radio dial to 107.3. But around the world, on digital radio, just go to 2ser.com. I'd love, I'd love for you to join in. Like, if you're a podcast listener and you haven't caught the radio show, definitely check it out. It is not. Th- these are not carbon copies of each other. If you want to uh, keep up with the show, if you want to stay in touch, you will find Final Draft on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Just look for the uh, just look for the handle at Final Draft 2SER. You can also email us. Let us know what you're reading, suggestions, books that are coming up that you're getting excited. Uh, just finaldraft at 2SER.com. Subscribe, of course, in your podcast app. It means a new great conversation uh, uh, with an Australian author every single week. And look, I'm going to ask, No, you don't get anything if you don't ask. If you are enjoying the podcast, give us a rating. Give us some five stars if you are really loving it. Leave a comment. These are are just so important for helping other people discover the show, discover the authors that we feature. I am Andrew Popel. I'm going to be back next week with more uh, incredible conversations with Australian authors here on Final Draft. Till then, happy reading. Bye for now.